We're bad at this. <laughs> at podcasting, you're right. How do we... No, I'm serious. How do we do nearly 60 episodes of a bad movie podcast without covering a Steven Seagal movie? <laughs> World's worst action hero? Is that what you're talking about right here? <laughs> I mean, he's not good. Oh, goodness, no. He he has to be the person who has been cast in the most action hero roles with zero action hero skills. The least deserving action oh. hero, sorry. Absolutely. I have no idea how he got his first role. I, I think he acts like a tough guy all the time, and someone was convinced by it, I guess. Joe Rogan once called him a fat fraud who's a disgrace to the martial arts. <laughs> so, sums it up pretty well, I think. I, I think Joe hit the nail on the head there because there's so many stories about Steven Seagal like, challenging people to fights and then just getting his ass kicked and having excuses. Yeah, I mean, nothing he did out there today with this movie really impressed me in terms of like physical... like. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I can beat Steven Seagal in a fight. <laughs> You're not challenging Steven Seagal to a fight right now? I'd be way more comfortable fighting him than fighting like Jean-Claude Van Damme, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Chuck Norris. Those guys I feel like could like legitimately hurt me. Seagal, I feel like I might lose, but I feel like I put in a good showing if that makes sense. <laughs> so you're hearing it right now. Cooper is challenging Steven Seagal to a one-on-one -on -one match. Can we make the throat off limits? Yeah. Well, that's his only move. That's his only move. Yeah. Throat rip. No neck stuff, okay? Yeah. All right. Although it would be ironic considering how much I love MacGruber. <laughs> uh, welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And yes, despite somehow not covering a Steven Seagal movie in our first 59 episodes, we are making up for it today because we are talking about what is almost certainly his very best movie. It's Under Siege. <laughs> Yeah, um, this could be controversial, I think, only because it was, like, widely successful. Oh, yeah. Right? At the box office and critically, I think. People really enjoyed this movie. And you're right. There's Under Siege 2. There's so many other, like, really horrible ones. But I like that we've chosen what is probably his best movie because... None of them are good because he stars in them. <laughs> there you go. The best Steven Seagal movie does not carry a lot of cachet. <laughs> yeah, it's like being the nicest guy in prison. Isn't that the expression? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think too, like, again, this is one that many people have seen. I, mean, I was looking at a list of Steven Seagal movies. Half of them I'd never fucking heard of. I didn't know what they were. Like, so I, I don't know. This is one that everyone knows. And yes, yeah, successful at time. But I think now you watch it with the benefit of hindsight. And it's really missing something for me. I feel like this is, you know. Yeah, we're going to get into it for sure. But we always pick a beer that uh, goes with it. We do. Now, this one, I don't know about this one. <laughs> you don't like the connection? You think it's a little bit of a stretch here? Well, I like the connection. Tell them what it is. Tell the folks what it is. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll decide afterwards. It was shockingly hard to find, um, like, naval and boat-themed beers. I thought there would be more of them out there. You're uh, very confident. Uh, you were like, I'll find a, no, no fucking problem. Yeah. No, find I, a boat beer in two seconds. I thought it would be much easier. What I did find, though, was a boat-themed brewery. And and I think that this makes a pretty pretty great connection. This is from the Stonehooker Brewing Company. Uh, these are uh, a company that's reasonably new out of Port Credit, Ontario, uh, right by the lake. And so a Stonehooker is a... So, sorry. For, <laughs> for who doesn't live in the greater Toronto area, Port Credit is Mississauga, Ontario. Okay, yeah. Sorry. I, I, well, you know, so many fucking people know Mississauga, Ontario. Also. Yeah, no one's going to know any of that shit. But <laughs> yeah, the, whatever. the idea is that this town is right off the lake shore and uh, right where there are lots of boats. And a stonehooker is an old profession. It was a craft where people would sail on boats and get stones out of the lake. And they use those for the foundations of most of the buildings that started Toronto. Okay, like I thought a stonehooker was a boat. Nope. No. No, it's the profession. It's the craft of getting those stones. Now, they spend all their time on boats. Uh, the actual symbol for the brewery is a sailing boat with an anchor and some rope there. So fits perfectly for our naval adventure we're going to get into. I read a lot about this brewery or tried to sort of investigate it. And the reason why they chose this name is because they felt like brewing, along with the profession of stone hooking, had kind of gone out of favor uh, when the big breweries came along and they decided that they wanted to be a part of that craft um, experience coming back and bringing back good beer. So I thought it was kind of a neat connection. The beer we're drinking is called Even Keeled. That fits pretty good, I guess. We got to play on words here with uh, the keel, right? We know that that's a part of the ship or keeping the ship upright. And our star of this movie never gets angry. 
Never very, shows very emotion yeah. generally. Well, no, there's a little <laughs> bit of emotion, but he's always very stoic, yes. right? Uh, wooden, some might say. Yeah, so he is very even keeled here. That's sort of that's fair. Yeah, so okay. I thought that was a good connection. We have a couple others that we might crack open and drink to that uh, connect as well. They're just all nautical themed beers. Sure. So looking forward to it. This is an English best bitter. Ah. Uh. Which, uh, no, was, I think you like that? it. I think it's a, a fairly uh, sessionable ale. It might be a little bit darker, maltier, I believe. So I think you will really enjoy it, and I think it should be good drinking, too. I've had a couple of the beers from them and enjoyed them so far, so I look forward to trying these ones, too. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, let's try it right now, why don't we? <laughs> let's get into it. Ooh. So we open with credits over what looks like helicopter footage of a battleship cruising its way through the ocean. And not just any battleship, the legendary USS Missouri, which we are told is the ship the Japanese surrendered on, thus ending World War II. We are quickly taken inside for some footage of the crew, which of course includes Steven Seagal playing the role of Casey Ryback. He's making his way through the ship and more than one crew member asks why he isn't wearing his dress whites because apparently they're going to be getting a visit from the President of the United States. Yeah, he doesn't seem to care too much about that. It's not really a big deal for him. Uh, he's not looking forward to George uh, Bush's visit here. I had a question about this because mm. we get some footage in the movie of what looks like George Bush. Oh, it is, that, that's, yeah. a, that's in the real George Bush. Oh, yeah, definitely. The real president of the United States of America appeared in Under Siege. So, or was it like stock footage? Yeah, that's what I think. I think they took footage um, and cut it in from a real visit by the president onto a naval ship. But it's interesting. That's a good question. It could have been him because it was him and his wife. Both of them were the real... Or like, it's imitators who look like him. Maybe. Uh, like, I, are they paying him royalties from under siege? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I could see the Bushes having connections to some Hollywood uh, families, right? I could see that being Steven a Steven Seagal. <laughs> it may be. I mean, no, he's he's connected to other politicians that we won't talk about right now. Uh. <laughs> um. Yeah, really, really interesting. I guess they're trying to set the tone right away, right? He doesn't care. He's he's the cook, we find out really quickly here, and he doesn't feel like he has to follow along with all this pomp and circumstance. Well, we also learn that he is a decorated war hero because his captain says if he had Ryback's medals, he'd wear them everywhere, even to bed. And that he's got a poorly hidden feud with another officer in the ship, Commander Krill, played by your boy, <laughs> Scary Busey. <laughs> yeah, this was exciting. Uh, so we, it stars Steven Seagal, but the uh, supporting other lead cast here, uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey, loving this. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you are. <laughs> so yeah, we can tell really quickly that um, Gary Busey's character and uh, Steven Seagal's character do not get along. Right? No, when he hears that Seagal's going to skip the president's visit, he says to the captain, Sir, why do you tolerate that clown? <laughs> uh, at this point, I was getting like Maverick Iceman vibes from the two of them because I forgot that Gary Busey's evil in this. <laughs> You're right. It did seem like they were competing for uh, top spot on that ship after the captain. But it's funny, though, that you would have a cook and the second in command having that kind of battle. Um, but we are going to find out later that uh, certainly I know they kind of hinted at it here, but Ryback is a lot more than what he seems. Oh, big time. Now, while Steven Seagal cracks up the rest of the kitchen staff with some hilarious jokes and stories, what an everyman he is, we <laughs> learn via voiceover that the reason for the president's visit is that the Missouri is getting decommissioned after one final trip to San Francisco. Spoiler alert, this final trip will not go smoothly. Yeah, so this ship that is apparently very, very well known and one of the major parts of the American Navy for decades is about to have its last sail, but... Wait a minute here. Terrorists are not done with this boat. Yeah, there's a couple of dark figures who basically say it's time. And from there, we see a ginger crew member trying to convince someone to allow an unauthorized helicopter landing. He says it's Gary Busey's idea, something about a birthday surprise for the captain. And when the guy he's talking to won't go for it, he distracts him with a porno mag. <laughs> yeah, this is a pre-internet days here. We're going to throw back to some... Very common tropes about women here on the t on the table. I also wanted to uh, PC correct you here. Ginger is not a very kind word to say. Oh, my God. All uh, right. No. Um, yeah, it's funny seeing a porno mag, right? That's something that isn't something we would think about anymore. Um, but it's something that's very common, I think, on naval ships, especially of the time. That was big currency in the 90s, for real. Oh, <laughs> I can know. see why on a, yeah. on a boat he would have been like, yep, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Now, that same ginger crewman then interrupts a dance-off in the kitchen to let Steven Seagal know that part of Gary Busey's surprise is having food flown in so Ryback and his crew can pack it up. Seagal basically tells him to fuck off and then shows us how dangerous and skilled he is by drilling a bullseye with his chopping knife. 
I don't even think it was a chopping knife. It looked like a throwing knife. Like it's oh yeah, but he he's has... using it to chop stuff. Oh he yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, he yeah. holds he holds throwing knives and he used them in his kitchen to cook. So they are really laying it on thick here, letting you know that uh, this cook is going to kick some ass. For sure. Now, this draws the ire of Gary Busey, who clears up the kitchen and hocks a loogie into Seagal's booyah base. That gets him a smack in the face after a fairly obvious one-liner from Seagal. Come on, that's not striking off, sir. That's striking off. <laughs> he fucking drills it right in the, right in the mush. And he, takes out, and he takes out like four Marines before Seagal finally gears down and agrees to let it end. They can't throw him in the brig because the captain wouldn't okay it. So where does he end up? In the ice locker. They throw him in the freezer here. We know that this is now going to become a loose end. They leave one Marine to guard him, and they say if he leaves, to shoot him. Oh, right in the forehead. Gary Busey taps him right in the spot and everything. Yeah, the whole idea is to have him out of the way during the party to ensure that it'll run smoothly, which it definitely won't. And from there, we get a look inside the helicopter that's arriving as we see that in addition to food being flown in, Gary Busey has also arranged some entertainment. There's a hot lady, presumably from the aforementioned porno mag. It's Baywatch star Erica Aleniak, who we're going to see in a few weeks in a different movie that we're watching. And there's also a band on board whose band leader slash harmonica player, Bad Billy, is played by Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> Boy, is he. Tommy Lee comes in hot on yeah. this one. Oh, my goodness. This, we know, is the entertainment for the party for the captain, but we can also suspect is going to be causing some problems for our crew. Yeah, what are the chances that Tommy Lee Jones is literally just the harmonica player in this band? Probably pretty slim, right? The fucking hairstyle on him, though, he's got this, like, <laughs> weird, like... 90s mullet rocker hair and the headband, aviator sunglasses, leather jacket. This leather jacket has so many rhinestones or anything mm. on it. It is very, very decorative. And he comes in almost like an MC, right? He comes in directing everyone and sort of getting the show started. He's the one who's interacting with the crowd here. Um, our ex-Baywatch and now Playboy Playmate here on the on the ship. She comes off that plane, and is she looking really hot right now? I mean, I don't, if you like that sort of thing, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I mean, she had seasickness, man. She got really sick from the oh, helicopter yeah. ride. Oh, I so, forgot about that. Yeah, so yeah. she gets really sick. She's not looking good. So they send her back to take some, uh, they give her some drugs for her stomach, like gravel kind of stuff, and she gets changed. And then we don't see her again for a while, but this party starts up. Yeah, he introduces the band. Tommy Lee Jones does. And he also introduces Miss July 1989, who it turns out is Gary Busey in drag. This is absolutely ridiculous, this whole scene. Yeah, he comes in. He's got the largest fake breast possible. He's covered in makeup and he's got a ridiculous wig on. And he starts, like, dancing and grinding up on the other ship members. And it's funny because the crew is really into this. They're, yeah. They think it's hilarious. And they, I guess he's been such a hard ass, they like that he's showing a different side. Yeah, like Maybe he's not such a bad guy after all. But as we quickly find out, he actually is a very bad guy because this whole surprise party, flying in the food, band, and entertainment, was just a way to get Tommy Lee Jones on board so they could kill the captain and take over the ship. Worst surprise party ever. Oh my god, yeah. Happy birthday, Captain. Happy birthday. So it all starts off like this party sort of ends and the battle starts going down when Tommy Lee Jones asks for who is the senior ranking officer right now at the party, right? And uh, a guy kind of, I don't know, he doesn't want to stand up and, and make it known, but he does. He stands up, they give him a bit of a cheer, and then immediately he gets shot in the forehead. Bullet right to the brain, yeah. And then it takes Tommy Lee Jones and his gang about 30 seconds to get complete control of the ship, including the nuclear codes, which to me seems like really fast. Uh, I mean, they do say that he is extremely well organized and he has a lot of experience doing this. We find out later that he has been working for the CIA. So he's got his own very specialized team who take the ship, but you're right, it seems insane that it's so quick for them to get everything in order he even says so he calls the crew members wussies you can't believe how fast it was yeah yeah and then we get a cut to our in drag gary Busey with the captain yeah we get a little comedy scene here gary Busey kills the captain first of all and then he opens the captain's vault and still in drag like you said he reads some of the captain's logs and finds a statement about himself in there about how he's become hostile and angry and should undergo a psychological evaluation before his next assignment. He says to Tommy Lee Jones, Do I look like I need a psychological evaluation? Not at all. That's good stuff. I mean, this is... <laughs> he's yeah. the drug. He looks ridiculous. They set that one up well, right? He is going on a murder spree, and now he's contesting whether he deserves to have some psychological evaluations done, and it's clear that he does. 
So <laughs> Captain's dead. For some reason, one of the crew that was part of taking things down shoots him a whole bunch of times after he comes up just to make sure. I don't know. It was weird. It seemed like there was a vendetta, even though there was no relationship between them, uh, like spelled out in the movie. And now we have that group of mercenaries or the terrorist group starting to lock everything down, make sure that all the pieces are in place. They take all of the crew members and where do they start putting them? Oh, they stick them in down in like the bowels of the ship where they can have them stowed away. Now, while all of this has been going on, Steven Seagal has been trying to convince the dumb-faced guy guarding him that something is very, very wrong and also unsuccessful trying to keep his pies from getting burned. At one point, there's like there's a fire, his pies, my pies. Uh, and after a bunch of gunshots, he finally gets this guy to check in with the bridge. Gary Busey takes the call and tells the guard the gunshots were just party poppers. And because he's stupid, he believes it right up until the moment when two goons show up with guns. Now, my first thought here was like, these are the guys they send. The one dude is like five foot one. He's tiny. Are you being heightist right now? I am. <laughs> Listen, man. You said this guy to kill someone. He steps into the frame. I was like, Jesus Christ. Look at Joe Pesci. The guy had an automatic weapon on him and a whole bunch of other stuff. You were, you just knew that our chef, they didn't expect any threats down there. They thought that there was like some shitty chef locked away in a meat closet. Well, now hang on though, because Tommy Lee Jones says these guys can handle 20 Marines. <laughs> so he's hyping this guy up. Yeah. So you're saying you would take on Steven Seagal and this guy in a fist fight. Oh, easily. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like it. <laughs> Not easily. Sorry. Let me rephrase. <laughs> Happily. Yeah. Uh, well, sure enough, despite their amazing combat ability, Steven Seagal immediately escapes and kills both of them. So we are into it now. Seagal is going to have to clean up the ship. But first, we get a moment of silent drama as he finds the captain's body, drapes the captain's dress whites over the body, and stares intensely into the camera. The calm before the storm. <laughs> <laughs> Our even-killed person here will not shed a tear. He's ready to go get some revenge, though. It's like he's staring right into your soul. Yeah. Um, this happens pretty quick into the movie. Uh, so we're like 20 minutes in now, and the action has really started. So I, I do appreciate that they were able to set the groundwork pretty quickly. The whole premise is like batshit, but I like that it was done and over <laughs> yeah. with quickly and they're ready to start moving into the action, if we can call it that. Sure. Now, we also get some backstory on Tommy Lee Jones here. It turns out that Bad Billy is a former CIA operative, like you said, named William Stranix, who's mad at the government, specifically his commanding officer, Tom Breaker, for trying to eliminate him when he got a little too far off the leash on one of his assignments. After shooting down a jet the government sent in a flyby, he contacts the Pentagon and tries to convince them that he's crazy to cover up what he's really trying to do, which I'm not exactly sure what that is. He's trying to like just like sell the nuclear missiles, I guess. Yeah, I think this is definitely one, um, a way to get back at the CIA and his bosses who tried to have him killed. I mean, if you were a deep CIA operative and your own government tried to kill you, I guess you would try to get some vengeance too. Oh, you're not happy. Yeah, you're no. definitely not happy. And he thinks this is his way to use information about sort of the weapons in the government to earn a whole bunch of money and then I, I guess to fuck off. He would go and disappear somewhere with all that money and live a lavish lifestyle. But as we know, they've left a cook on board and things aren't going to go quite as planned. No. Um... Either way, this is just a massive fuck-up on the CIA's part. And all the heat goes on Breaker. Oh, it's hilarious. Throughout this entire movie, we have this sort of war room where we've got all the generals and the CIA and the FBI and all the leading officials there, and everyone is just shitting on Breaker. And clearly it's his fault. He tried to kill this guy who has now gone even more rogue and is trying to take his vengeance on America. Yeah, by, like, loading the missiles on a stolen sub. He's got a submarine also. Yeah, they sent him on a mission to go, like, take out a North Korean sub, but instead of destroying it, he stole it and crewed it himself. So you, it's clear that this Tommy Lee Jones character has a lot of power and influence and is good at organizing this shit. Um, so you could see there's a potential for him to get away with this, or that's what they're trying to sell you on here. Shortly after this, Steven Seagal is stealthing his way through the ship when he happens upon a giant cake. And right on cue, out pops the real Miss July, Erica Aleniak. She's wearing a thong, a navy jacket, and that's it. She flashes Seagal her boobs, shades of the audition process, perhaps. Oh, good. Uh. <laughs> and he tries to get her to tell him who was on the helicopter, but she doesn't remember. He's got a low tolerance for her. He says, what kind of babbling bullshit is this? And there's plenty more of that to come. There's a lot of babbling bullshit for her. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, it's it, this is funny. She fell asleep inside that cake because that drug she took, she too, took, many took, pills earlier. Yeah, she took too much seasickness yeah. earlier. And 
She wakes up and once she pops out of the cake, she just sees him and then some of the corpses on the ground. So obviously she's rattled. Uh, she is not doing a good job of acting in this section. She's there to make him look good. You know this theory of mine. <laughs> she's there to prop him up. Yeah, this is interesting because I feel like all of the acting in this movie so far have been Busey and Tommy Lee Jones, right? Like I Seagal- think you're giving Busey a lot of credit here. I think, been, I think it's mostly been Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, they haven't. They haven't put a lot of Seagal into it here, right? Or he's not doing a whole bunch. And now you're right. They're bringing in other people who who can't quite act so that he looks a little bit better. This, to me, is kind of a really funny relationship. Um, so he wants to leave her there. What does he try to do with her? Oh, he tries to lock her away, stow her away somewhere she won't be found. But she freaks out, is banging on the door, screaming. She gives him this tearful fucking monologue. She's really bad. Oh, really bad. She says she doesn't want to be alone. And she says she hates being alone. And then he he asked her if she hates being dead, which was actually kind that of was a not funny. Bad, yeah. Um, but then, of course, she becomes his sidekick. Well, yeah, we'll see more about that in a second. Before then, though, Tommy Lee Jones finds his dead guys and quickly realizes is no ordinary cook they're dealing with, especially after a microwave bomb that Seagal somehow timed perfectly for when they enter the room explodes and nearly kills them. How in the fuck? I mean, he's the best there ever has been. This this Ryback <laughs> character is just lethal. He's so good he can predict when they're going to walk into the fucking room. Like, yeah. come on. We were trying, I was trying to justify this to you earlier. He shut the electricity down in the room, and so when it turned back on, when they turned the lights on and got everything going again, that's when the microwave started back up again and exploded. But I don't know if that's how microwaves work. I just feel like this was if a, your power a goes gross, out like, and your microwave is on, it will start again once you uh, pop it. I guess it depends okay. on your model of microwave. I bet you some of them prevent that because of explosions. I don't know enough about early '90s microwaves yeah. to say for sure. Let's go buy one and just test it out. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a 1992 microwave, please. Let's that. No, uh, Gary Busey, who literally two seconds ago was still like, "Nah, he's just a cook." Starts whistling a different tune when he finds Ryback's file, which was not with the regular personnel files. It was in the captain's private files. Turns out, in what has to be a stroke of bad luck for Tommy Lee Jones and company, he's basically the deadliest man alive. That's what they find out. Uh, yeah. The the list of things. He's He's got, like, the Victoria Cross. He's got all these medals of honor. It's just insane. He's basically won them several wars, taken a bunch yeah. of injuries. He's and a survived. walking death machine. Yeah. Like, that's all it is. And now that you mentioned he's got a partner as him and Erica Eleniak are basically a mismatched buddy team, which like I know she's hot, but she has to be just a massive liability here, right? Yeah, this is insane. This is like when you're playing a video game and you find an NPC that you have to drag through the world and it's always just they're running off on their own (laughs) trying (laughs) to get killed. She asks him why she has to carry all this stuff and he says he would happily carry it if she'll kill all the bad guys. Yeah, well, what doesn't help this partnership is that she says she won't kill anyone. She has two rules. One, I don't date musicians and two, I do not kill people, okay? Uh, (laughs) I mean... We know she's going to change her tune on at least one of those during this mission. (laughs) They're making some progress, though, as he manages to make contact with the Pentagon and give them some inside information. They also give us more information about him. Turns out most of his SEAL team was wiped out due to bad intel. And when the guy says that, everyone at the table looks over at Breaker again. Breaker is just eating a huge plate of shit throughout this whole movie. Yeah, whoever wrote this really has some bad feelings towards the CIA. Apparently, yeah. (laughs) Because everything is being blamed on them in this, uh, which is pretty funny. There's even some sort of insinuation in this that maybe Tommy Lee Jones is actually the person who caused all of his people to lose their lives. I mean, we'll get to that later. Uh, There's some connection that we don't know for sure. Yeah, but I think that's what they're kind of trying to suggest, but they don't really tie it together here. Now, speaking of eating shit, like 20 of Tommy Lee Jones' goons eat shit on the deck of the boat as Seagal kills them in various creative ways. My favorite was after he very slowly runs away from them. He wedges a grenade in the, like, the door wheel thing so that when they try to open it, it explodes, which launches what is very clearly a dummy halfway across the deck. Yeah, it cuts to a guy rolling around on the ground holding his face, but you know it was a dummy that got smashed there. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen dummy work like this since coffee from a couple weeks ago. <laughs> oh, God. Oh my goodness, those car runovers were uh, pretty fantastic. Just gratuitous dummy yeah. work, I We're going to get another one later in this movie that's pretty good, too. <laughs> we are. Now, Seagal's got to move faster here, both to make the action look more realistic and 
because Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey have decided to drown slash murder the ship's actual crew. So now he's got to rally the small number of crew he's freed with help from Erica Eleniak, who has suddenly become an expert in military weapons. Like, how does she know what she's doing all of a sudden? Yeah, it's it's insane. They find some other crewmates uh, locked inside of a hangar and just fortunately have a sort of welding torch beside that door so that they can open it. She starts, like, helping those guys gear up and get their guns ready, and they're going to make a plan together to go save those crew members who are being drowned right now. It's pretty dark what Gary Busey's character is trying to do here, right? He's willing to drown his whole crew to just get access to and stop Steven Seagal. Yeah, now a couple of the ones that Seagal freed aren't exactly up for this, though, so what does he say to convince them? Oh, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) It was about the Navy, and he says it's not a job, it's... An adventure. Which is also like the tagline for this movie, apparently. That's ridiculous. I laugh my ass off. I, I, we weren't old enough at the time when this was released to sort of be exposed to the Navy commercials. I'm wondering if that was their slogan or theme at the time, right? It's not a job. It's an adventure. Yeah, again, I'm circling back to topics. I got those Iceman Maverick vibes at the beginning from Busey and Seagal. And I'm like, is this also just like an ad for like the Navy? It does seem so. When was Top Gun out? Uh, 86. So I I bet you that after the success of Top Gun, there were a lot of movies that were written (laughs) that were like, let's... The U.S. military, let's fund some more movies. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if there was some of that in here. I mean, it's possible. We get just a ridiculous sequence now where Seagal walks through a hallway just filled with dudes shooting at him. Well, actually, first he was just sitting on his ass talking to the Pentagon, shooting straight ahead while none of these guys could hit him. But things really pick up when he enters an open area with a bunch of steel girders hanging from the ceiling. We get like seven amazing kills in a row here. Yeah, this sequence, starting with him running through, well, sorry, he never runs. He can't move faster than a walking pace in this. Walking through an area, he has two Uzis in his hand crossed at the wrist because, you know, that's how cool people fire guns. Yeah. Um, just trying to... That's, that's somehow more effective than just holding them in Straight the ahead. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, they have to be crossed. He's shooting. There's no chance that he doesn't die here. There's also no chance that he has the ammo necessary for this, like... He never reloads. No. You never see him reload. Classic action movie trope. Uh, one of his group that he's saved does take it a bit here gets shot and of course they're all outraged by that and that causes him to get a little more angry so they come into this open area that you were talking about and he sees a guy below and he pulls a rope and what happens is one of those girders you were talking about earlier fucking decimates that guy it plunges through his body and through the floor and you get a nice gory ending it's it's ridiculous we get the underneath shot from below like the catwalk of the girder just puncturing this guy's fucking uh uh abdomen or torso i don't know it's right through him it's a clean cut the fact that it was just hanging ready for a rope to be pulled and mangle someone was hilarious. Well, and the guy was standing directly underneath it. Like, yeah. come on, it's so fucking contrived. It was one of those moments where, like, the train is coming at the person and they have seven minutes to get out of the way, but they stand there and watch it. It kind of felt like that as it fell on him. Well, and then we get all the power tools. The power tools come out next. <laughs> yeah, we get a guy who gets punched and killed when he falls into a bunch of ropes and his neck breaks. And then Seagal walks through a room of people who are crafting... Uh, like, they all look like craftspeople. They're working on this girder system to get the missiles off the ship. But instead of taking them out, he walks past all of them and then turns so that they can all fight him. <laughs> like, I don't understand. He could have, like, taken them out one-on-one no. stealthily. And he's like, nah, fuck that. I'm just going to, like, try to get them all to fight me. He yeah. always holds his knife like pointed almost towards himself and he kind of slowly drags it in front of his face in what is not a very menacing or convincing like action move to me. No, and that comes up later for sure. But he he gets one guy with a couple of stabs with the knife. Another guy he knocks down and like gets a bandsaw to cut his like fucking trap muscle like just right through the fucking neck shoulder area at the bandsaw. There was something else that I can't remember now, but there's another, there's other it's tools gruesome. involved. There's, yeah. there's a lot of knife killing. He stabs a guy in the armpit several times. I think he groins one guy with it too. Like, Ugh. yeah. So some gruesome knife cuts, but he definitely waited till they were all there. Uh, of course, his sidekick has to scream his name to save him, and that's when he shoves the guy into the bandsaw. Yeah, a little, we got like a look out there. Yeah, we got a little look out. She's starting to contribute like increasingly to this, and I think this is a theme that's going to pick up here. Yeah, and honestly, after this sequence, which was, again, very, very enjoyable, it seems like things are going Seagal's way. He's eliminated a lot of Tommy Lee Jones' goons, and a highly trained strike team of SEALs is on the way. These guys are the best of the best, except... Their uh, helicopter gets blown up by two rockets from a handheld rocket launcher. And I have to say, 
The fucking pilot doesn't even try to avoid them. He just keeps flying straight ahead. They get hit once. They're like, what was that? Oh, it's a rocket. And then like, another one's coming at me. He's, like, he's straight ahead, right into the fucking front of the helicopter. Yeah, this felt pretty unbelievable to me, right? We had the buildup earlier in the movie where they said that this was the best team of Navy SEALs that the whole fucking, like, U.S. has. And like you said, the first rocket, the surprise one, takes out one of the two helicopters, and you're, that makes sense. But the other one should have clearly been able to pull away, or people should have been able to jump out. They weren't that high at this point. Everyone just sits there and takes it. Yeah. Like, if these are the best fucking SEALs in the world, they could have hit the water and been, like, going at the ship with their guns and done something, right? Like, this was baffling to me that this was the best they had. To be fair, maybe it's the best Navy SEALs they have, but the worst helicopter pilots. <laughs> like, maybe that's just the problem. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. It's uh, it, it seems unlikely that this would be a possible ending to these people that who are supposed to be the best and have the best information, especially after Steven Seagal has shut down most of the defenses. I mean, they have to do this to build tension. They want the only possible solution to be our, like, our cook. It's Seagal. Right? It yeah, has it's to Seagal be or nothing. Yeah, yeah and... And we know why this happens. This just felt like, of all of the bullshit in this movie, this felt like almost the most unbelievable part of it to me. I can see that. Now, with these reinforcements gone, Seagal's going to have to get really creative. So he takes apart a nuclear missile and uses various common household items to rig up an explosive device he can slip onto the sub. And I loved, loved that one of those common household items is a condom. He's going to save the free world with a dong bag. Yeah, he pulls it out. He makes sure that uh, his Playboy Playmate assistant is there, tells her it's a Magnum. And no, then- <laughs> no, he doesn't. Although I actually was wondering that. Like, Can you see what size it was? Yeah, no, it was, it was an extra big. He was trying to tell her that he was loaded uh, both in the pants and in his magazine because uh, he, he wanted her to know that. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ, that's ridiculous. Uh, he throws on a wetsuit and starts swimming towards the sub. But he gets spotted and they try and kill him by shooting at him and also throwing anchors at him. Why they have these grappling hooks or anchors on the top of the submarine doesn't make a lot of sense. I guess they were trying to connect the sub to the Missouri so that they could get those um, like large bombs across. One of them catches him. Oh yeah, he takes a little damage here. But he manages to make it to the sub, although he is immediately found by Tommy Lee Jones' number two man, who is Chief O'Brien from Star Trek The Next Generation. We're getting a lot of Star Trek TNG cameos in the movies we're watching this season, I feel. I have a hard time seeing this actor in particular in any other role. Yeah. Like, yeah. every time I see him, he's just so discernible with that curly hair and, like, grimace face that I just can't... <laughs> I can't yeah, take him away from that transporter room. That's there all I can do. There you go. Yeah. Well, uh, he's got Seagal dead to rights when all of a sudden he gets shot from behind by Erica Eleniak, who somehow managed to walk right up behind him without being seen by anyone. We get a nice line here from Seagal. He says to her, Next thing I know, you'll be dating musicians. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she broke she's breaking her rules. rules. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this happens a lot in this movie where Seagal and his other like group members are able to walk around this ship without getting caught so frequently and it doesn't oh make God. any sense. They have so much free reign, both in terms of like space in the ship and also time. Like Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey, let them fucking set up camp and have like hours to fucking take apart a nuclear missile and jury rig a, a fucking explosion. Like it, it makes no sense. Why didn't they just send all of their goons, like there's some unsecured areas, go down and secure them, send everybody. Yeah, they sent them two at a time, fucking these losers to get murdered. Ugh. It's pretty easy to seal off a ship, right? I think that's what they were trying to tell us when they were able to take it over so quickly. Yeah. It would have been so easy for them to seal him into his compartments and just fucking flood or explode those areas. Like, it, it's, I mean, the movie wouldn't happen if any of that happened, but it's frustrating how much they can walk around undetected and then how he hops in the water and is like super stealthy and immediately everyone sees him and shoots at him. Like I just don't, I don't get that strange. No, I agree. It is, right? it is absolutely ridiculous. Gary Busey decides it's time to take charge here. He's going to kill Steven Seagal, but first he's going to fix the sub with a crowbar, a welding torch and fucking something. What was the third thing you mentioned? An acetylene torch. Like, Isn't that needs, also a welding torch? Yeah. He needs two of them for some reason and a crowbar. 
he's not convincing at all as like an engineer. I guess maybe they're insinuating that's his background, but uh, it works. He figures out how to fucking fix the sub, which is just batshit to me too. <laughs> I, I said moments it's ago that it's ridiculous. That, yeah, it's, this is probably the most ridiculous part of this movie. Yeah, he's got his plan. Seagal's got his plan. Everyone's gearing up for the next move. But Busey loses this game of chess when Seagal blows up the sub with him on it. This is the closest thing we get to a montage in this film, right? We yeah, get I was surprised there were no montages. Yeah, it would have made it way better. I mean, montages, of course, are one of my favorite things, especially in action films. We, we know. know that, yeah. Anyone who listens to the podcast will be aware of that. What we have is music going on in the background. And, of course, the crew that Seagal has saved from this one area has with it an expert in the big guns. So they all sort of take a job. They get together. And they perfectly position the guns of the Missouri to take out and explode this sub. This is a checkmate for our friend Gary Busey, blown up along with the rest of the crew of that sub, and the nuclear weapons that were on it have sunk to the bottom. Definitely. You know who was not perfectly positioned here? Tommy Lee Jones, who happens to be standing right next to one of those giant guns when it goes off, which causes him to basically lose his hearing and also his mind. He <laughs> essentially goes like full Jack Nicholson Joker. When we see him in the control room, he's talking about Saturday morning cartoons, singing like nursery rhyme songs, and he kicks everyone out of the control room and launches a nuclear missile at Hawaii for some reason. Why the fuck? Yeah, so you're right. I like that comparison between the Joker because it feels very much that kind of inspiration. He wanted revenge and he wanted that money. Originally, this was about him getting freedom and getting the money to go. But now that he knows that his plan's falling apart, he doesn't care. He just wants to burn everything down. And apparently the place he wants to burn is Honolulu. Which makes no sense to me. It might just be where they were positioned and what they could hit, right? But yeah. So he launches two nuclear bombs off at them, and they very quickly pan back to that war room, and they say we've got like 24 minutes or something before they hit. What's the response? How are we going to save the day here? Oh, they're going to send two jets. <laughs> just two. Not like all the jets. Oh. Just a couple of jets. I was raging while watching this. I even, like, I got <laughs> mad because yeah. I was like, why wouldn't you send everything to send stop it's this? It's exactly what Tommy Lee Jones didn't do. Send all your guys to fucking kill Seagal. Don't send them two at a time. Send everybody. They send two know, jets man. to stop two missiles. The jets are successful in stopping one, but now we're pretty fucked. We're running out of time here, and the only way to stop that second nuke is if you get the codes, right? You need to get the disc, and who has it? Tommy Lee Jones. So listen, we are heading for the final showdown here as Seagal slowly makes his way towards the control room judo throwing slap fighting and throat ripping anyone he comes in contact with oh my god <laughs> we need to talk about this because He's awful he is not a martial artist he has very little skills his arms flail all over the place his only move is to get in close and to like choke or stab or and throat rip he has he a throat, throat rip here which we all had a good chuckle at all right oh, it's a good time it, yeah. it was funny but he's not threatening at all. No. Like, no one would be afraid of him. The only thing he is is even killed. He doesn't panic, right? Like, he sits there and he makes his <laughs> way you through. Go, beer connection. Yeah. So he makes it after all of this slap fighting and throat ripping. He makes it to the control room. But who has the upper hand here? Oh, yeah. As soon as he walks in, Tommy Lee Jones gets a drop on him and holds him at gunpoint. And this is where we find out that apparently they know each other. It's like a reunion, which, like, how? Why? I would not imagine that the CIA and Navy SEALs do a lot of work together. They don't explain this at all. This is where I think, and maybe in other cuts of this movie they explained it more, I think that maybe Tommy Lee Jones was the person who gave the bad information that got most of Seagal's team killed, right? They talk about, it's Panama, I think, where they, they have that really bad, I don't know. Yeah, so they're on a mission. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're on a mission and a lot of Seagal's team gets killed and that's where he ends up losing all of his ranking. And the only sort of place he can stay in the Navy was a cook and like a cleaner, right? Like those That's are like the, a favor from the captain, they say. Basically, the captain was like, we'll keep this guy around. Well, yeah, because they he wanted to get him to retirement. I guess he was close to his retirement age and he could stay in the Navy in those two roles but lose all ranking. So... I think that there was something there, but they really don't explain it well. Like We have to draw all those conclusions ourselves. It's true. Now, we get a short acting face-off here, which Seagal is thoroughly outmatched in. <laughs> Although, he does have one good line here. He says, You and I, we're puppets in the same sick play. Yeah, it's true. He has a <laughs> good response. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is outclassing him here, clearly in the <laughs> in the acting category, right? Um, but we're about to get a knife fight. Oh, fuck, yes. And this knife fight 
is absolutely absurd. It's just a ton of quick camera cuts and like knife clinking sounds while they flail their arms around, but they aren't even close to each other. It, it's an all-timer. Like this is just so bad. You can't even see Tommy Lee in most of the shots. It's just an arm waving a knife. Yep. And you do see Seagal waving his knife slowly because that's the only way that he can. And you're right. The clinking sounds were driving me insane because those knives weren't even <laughs> close to each other yeah. and we're getting it. Then you get the occasional like quick cut to a slice on an arm or a cheek Chest, or a face. Totally, yeah. Um, I've been shitting on Seagal this whole time. There's no way that Tommy Lee Jones is going to fight him with a knife and win. Like, this is also oh, not believable. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. This yeah. is where I'm like, Tommy Lee Jones has no chance here. This is hearkening back to our Mungo Jerry fight, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Look at this. You yeah. worked it in. I believe that's our second Mungo Jerry. We did it. Second <laughs> Mungo Jerry reference of the season. Ah, woo! <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mungo Jerry, everybody. Uh, Mungo Jerry. <laughs> uh, now, okay. True story. If you want to recreate this knife fight at home, here's what you do. You need three people. Two of you hold knives, stand six feet apart from each other, just start swinging your arms around like in circles. The third guy, take two forks and just start clanging them together aggressively. <laughs> Boom. You got it. You need, There's the knife fight. You need one other prop. You need a dummy of Tommy Lee Jones where you can Oh, well, no, 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 hang on. <laughs> All right, so I will say, though, the end of this fight is fucking incredible. Seagal gets in close enough to gouge out Tommy Lee Jones's eye, and then he jams the knife literally straight down through the top of his head, and then he takes the thing and smashes him into one of, like, the sonar fucking the monitors, radar yeah. pins. Yeah which allows him to scoop the nuclear deactivation codes out of his back pocket. The whole thing is like one like one fluid sequence of just like eye gouge, head stab, sonar smash, code grab. It is delightful and incredible, and I was <laughs> laughing the whole time. Yeah, we know that Steven's only move here, Seagal's only move is to get in close, and when he does, he makes it count here. Uh, he uses his thumb to gouge out the right eye of Tommy Lee, and it happens quick, and it's pretty good. They have a nice, like, eye goop out. It feels pretty believable. Yeah, it's decent. Yeah, it's decent. Yeah, and the knife stab happens really fast through the skull. I wouldn't think... Straight down. Yeah, I wouldn't think it'd be that effective, but I don't know. That's not a shot that you see often, you know, right? You never stab someone straight down no, through the I've head No, I've never before. put a knife through a skull before, so I can't <laughs> tell if that one's real. But you don't see that often, right? Like, you don't usually aim no. for a... Your, your head is one of the more sort of armored areas yeah. of your body. You don't usually he see He could have stabbed him in the fucking chest or yeah. slit his throat or something. But yeah. the force made it seem believable. It was fast and forceful, and then it well, you know what's not it's unbelievable? Tommy Lee Jones is clearly like wax head of like the dummy. Yeah. Yeah. No, the dummy was really bad. Um, the cutaway happens quick and you know it's not real. But I agree. It was sort of a nice way to end this fight. It's incredible. Yeah. So we have the codes and then we start getting a flashback to the war room and to them working together to try to shut down that last nuke. As we also have like camera footage of the missile getting close to the Hawaiian island. Oh, yeah. Well, with uh, Tommy Lee Jones out of the way, the only thing left to do is stop those nukes from destroying Hawaii. As we mentioned, the uh, full two planes, the Pentagon scrambled, were able to stop both of them. But luckily, Ryback scooped those deactivation codes and quickly uses them to disarm the missile. And now we get much celebrating as Steven Seagal and company getting a standing ovation and he makes out with Erica Oleniak. Mission accomplished. <laughs> and the movie ends with Seagal in full dress regalia, saluting over what must be the captain's coffin. Yeah, it, it ends really quickly. The resolution happens very, very Just fast. Just like right? Top Gun. Yeah, yeah, it's over right away, right? We go right from the end of the action to two quick shots. Of course, he's making out with uh, with the Playboy Playmate to end it, right? Yeah, he, one of the guys is like, let's see some moves. And he's like, here's the move. And he just fucking grabs her and fucking makes out with he her. He grabs yeah. her face and makes out with her. She has the biggest smile on her face. We can guarantee that Steven Seagal has pulled that move lots of times and... Probably pulled it during her screen test. Yeah, women... Again, not to shit on him. No, no, this is not... I'm going to shit on him. <laughs> yeah, we have to shit on him. He is notorious for being just an absolute asshole towards women. From everything you hear about Steven Seagal, he is one of the world's like largest monsters. This guy is awful. <laughs> like, you mean physically largest? He has gotten very large. No, well, that okay. too. But I just meant like in his personality, he's just such an overwhelming asshole. And we probably like it was probably horrible to be on set with him, right? And to see that like ending was definitely cringy at this. All point. right, get off the soapbox. Let's just come on. I, uh, what, what do you got here? <laughs> tell no, tell me about on. what we can guarantee. What about Erica Leniak? 
She absolutely hated her time working on set with Seagal <laughs> and probably had a much better time working with Dennis Miller. Oh, <laughs> a little sneak preview for a future episode right yeah. there. Get excited. Uh, and that's it, man. We're out. We're like into the credits here. Um, I don't know. Like, it's been a while since I've seen this. I had forgotten a lot of things about it. But overall, like, I had a good time watching this. What did you think? This is interesting because Seagal is an awful action star, right? We've been shitting He's on him yeah. the whole time. This movie would have been 10 times better with JCVD in this movie. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, my God. Jean-Claude Van Damme under siege. I would have loved it. Right, like there's two nukes heading for Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I would have had an erection for like half this movie. Oh, oh God! Uh, but no, um, you could have done the splits between like two lifeboats or something. Yeah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> would have been amazing. Two, two, both nukes while they're in the air. <laughs> yeah, between the nukes, nukes, and then he he successfully disarms them while using his yeah. toes. Yeah, well balanced between them. Stallone could have done a good job with this. Yeah, yeah, he's the cook. <laughs> oh, I think he would have been good as that. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So, so of course, this could have been better than it was. Um, but it belonged here, I think. I think Seagal is the reason this movie belongs here for sure. He's so bad. <laughs> He's really bad. <laughs> so what do you feel? We got Let's get into those ratings. I we agree. do them every time. So we rank it 1 out of 10. We do it two times. Once for how bad it is. Once for how enjoyable it is. And the goal is to find movies that are 10 out of 10 on both scales. Or as we call it, the Crit 20. And for me, I have to say... This movie's pretty bad, but I can't go all the way for a 10. I only have this as an 8 bad. I feel like, realistically, it's a pretty effective action movie. Like, Seagal is trash, obviously. Erica Leniak is a terrible fucking actress. But, like, the plot is good. The premise is good. Although, I have to say, and I don't know how we didn't mention this until now, this is just Die Hard on a Boat. That's all this is. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, it's not an original plot, that's for sure. Oh, no, no. my God, no. But they pull it off well. Tommy Lee Jones is kind of chewing the scenery a little bit, but he's solid. Gary Busey, I hate to admit it, he's solid in this. And, like, you know, it's a, they do a good job with the action. I can't give this a 10. I have to give this an 8. What do you think about this? Okay. Um, Seagal definitely brings up the bad. Like we said, just not a good martial artist, right? Like, all of the scenes where he is fighting are clearly very choreographed and or him flailing. A lot of the lines are just brutal. There's a couple good ones in there, right? We get some decent ones. The plot itself, like you said, is is a ripoff or predictable. The Some of the special effects, all the dummy stuff, and the sound effects on the knife fight are a struggle for me, and <laughs> some of the Busey stuff, but I actually had it as an 8-bat as well. Oh, look at that. Yeah. We're totally in sync. We were in sync on that one. I, I thought that it couldn't be all the way bad because... I guess we're going to, I can almost transition into my enjoyability. because Let's it, do it. How it, enjoyable on a scale of one to ten? It kind of fits with some of my ranking for the bad. It was paced well. We got into the action pretty quickly and we moved through at a reasonable pace. I felt the music and sound effects, except for the knives, were good at keeping me <laughs> uh, like in the right mood and engagement. The supporting cast, I thought, did a, a pretty good job um, either making Seagal look better than he was or like outacting everyone else and keeping you engaged in there. And then there were some good laughs at some of the bullshit yeah. that was there. Yeah, there were. So this came across as an 8 bad for me and then also an 8 enjoyable for me. Fair enough. So I, we're, again, very close to being the same page here. I agree with everything you just said. Like, Seagal, again, is bad. Supporting cast is strong. A lot of familiar faces in there. Like, yeah, it was an enjoyable time. I This is a 9 enjoyable, actually. I enjoyed it maybe a little bit more than you. But, like, overall, I'll happily watch this again. I laughed. I enjoyed the little scenes that were in there. You're right about the music. You're right about the sound effects. What stops this from being a 10 for me is I feel like the whole, like, them cutting away to the Pentagon, cutting back, cutting away to the Pentagon, that happens a few too many times. Like, I think they could have tightened that up a little bit. Did you feel like those were padding or, like, they weren't trying to pad in this? I didn't feel like they were trying to stretch anything. No, I agree. I think it's just that's them working in backstory. And I think that it is important. Like you said, we get right to the action. They don't have a lot of time to establish character. You get, like, hints of it. So them giving us some explanation for who Tommy Lee Jones is and why he's there and more information about Seagal is not a bad thing. Maybe you cut out the parts with Seagal. We get enough from his exchange with the captain, the captain's conversation with Gary Busey. We can tell he's very skilled. You could have worked that in easily without having to go back and forth so many times. That's my only thing. I don't disagree that they probably spent too much time with them if they weren't a part of the action, but 
I thought that they did a good job supporting what was supposed to be happening. Yeah, it's a minor complaint. Again, I'm giving a nine for enjoyable. Yeah, that's pretty I strong. That's pretty it, strong. Yeah, yeah. So. you can see why this was a commercial success. Yes. Are you gonna watch? Under Siege 2. <laughs> I think it happens on a train. Is Terrorists that, is that on correct? a train. I think so. Yeah. I thought it was on a boat again, but I realized I was confusing it with Speed 2, Cruise Control, <laughs> where a yes. boat is out of control. Yes. No, man, I don't know. Maybe, like, I don't know. You own, I ha- I have you this, own the Blu-ray. I have, yeah, I have this in a three-pack with, uh, I think it's Above the Law is the third one. Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. We'll is, see. Yeah. But All you right. know what the good news is? We've crossed the Steven Seagal movie off our list. We can certainly watch that one in the future. There's plenty to choose from. How did you feel about this beer? Yeah, so we've cracked a couple here. Crush that even killed quite quickly. Definitely malt forward, really sweet. A lot of that kind of sweet caramel notes. Um, didn't have the sort of bitterness that I enjoy from a lot of the other beers, but I like all kinds of beer, and this one went down fast. You made some good comparisons to another beer we like to drink. Yeah, it was kind of like a honey brown almost. I got that same sweetness that you got, and uh, same color almost as well. Kind of a golden brown, like uh, almost like a molasses kind of... uh... Yeah, I think a lot of the English bitters have that same color. They must use uh, grains that are of a darker color, right? Some that have been cooked down a little bit longer, right? Um, Not not to the state where they get into stouts, but ones that give a lot more color to the beer, and it it was very tasty. We opened up after... Uh, the Broad Reach. I was trying to argue for this one a little bit when we were talking about making it too, and that's their Northeaster IPA, and I'm loving it. Might be a little bit on the uh, hoppy side for you. You know what? It was okay. Like I, it was. Oh, ooh, well, sorry. Let me, for let an me, IPA let, for yeah, Cooper. Let me clarify. Considering that I knew it was an IPA, like, did I enjoy it? Would I have chosen this over a regular beer? No. But knowing that it was an IPA and drinking it, I was like, I've had worse IPAs. Let's put it that way. I'm gonna say that IPAs are regular beers, my friend. Just, just, uh, just throwing that out there. If you're, I don't believe you. You're getting there. You're changing. It's taking. No, I'm not. You keep saying this, but it's not happening. It's not happening. (laughs) Uh, What is happening is that next week we are going way back for a movie that you've never seen before, Phantom of the Paradise. It is like not Rocky Horror Picture Show adjacent, but essentially it is a glam rock version of the Phantom of the Opera. So this sounds fantastic. A lot of people believe that George Lucas stole many ideas from this movie to create Star Wars. What? See if you notice it. Right, you right. watch it. I, see if you, I, notice, you, know. you know what? I am so intrigued and interested. I love Phantom of the Opera. Yep. Seen it live. Popular story. Like half a dozen times. Seen the play. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots and lots of times. I love musicals. I love that era, and I love Phantom of the Opera, so this is cool. And the fact that George Lucas used this as inspiration for Star well, Wars, that's possibly. that's the theory, possibly. Okay. Because Brian De Palma directs it, and like he and George Lucas were friends, and so George Lucas clearly would have watched yeah, his movie. Yeah, he been around it. Yeah. yeah, so that'll be next week. Um, if you have not already, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, feel free to send us messages to our social media accounts. We love hearing from you. We love the feedback we get into the chat. We love the suggestions for beer and movies. Uh, if you'd like to send suggestions or comments or feedback to our email too, it's at the Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we've actually got an audience request coming up in the next couple of weeks, so keep your eyes open for that. But uh, next week, Phantom of the Paradise, please join us for that. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it cooking. Oh, <laughs> It's not a job, it's an adventure.